Morning, friends. How's everybody? Yeah, that's very responsive. Thank you. Everyone's happy because they had spring break last week. Amen, corner over here in the front. Um, yeah, so my name's Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'd like to go ahead and just kick this thing off with the word uh, before I say anything else. Let's let God speak. Uh, so, Caitlin, could you come on up? There you are. Okay, this is Mark 2, 23 to Mark 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. I feel like that one should end with a bum, bum, bum. Man, I got to figure out how this cold and hot thing works here because I'm freezing right now. (laughs) Made the wrong decision on wardrobe. Um, Anyways, have have you heard of uh, this four-day work week bill thing, you know, that's starting to go around? It's just recently, this past July, this California congressman uh, named Mark Ticano introduced this bill based on some findings that over the past number of years, especially in the international community, but even starting just in these um, certain companies based in the U.S., where there's this movement for four days of work and three days of rest. That seems, yeah, amen. Amen, Corner, where are you at? Uh, Right, to reduce the standard work week from 40 hours down to 32 hours. The studies that were done here cited things like increased productivity, better work-life balance, less sick days that had to be taken, higher morale on the job, lower childcare expenses, reduced healthcare premiums, lower operational costs, positive environmental impact. 
There's just some good things, right? And it's great as, as Christians to look and point at things in the world that scratch a little bit at the created order. There is something about this idea that scratches and smells a little bit like God, a little bit like what we see represented in the pages of Scripture for us. But like many things in the culture, like many things in the world, though there are hints of the Almighty in them, they come up lacking. And this idea is no different. Because those of you who have just been on spring break this past week, you may have experienced some rest. The question is, coming back, do you actually feel rested? A lot of times the joke is, you go to Disney World, and then you come home from that vacation, and you say, I need a vacation from the vacation that I just took. Because humans need more than just three days of binging true crime and becoming one with the couch in order to feel true rest, true internal peace, shalom, everything exactly as it should be. There is something unique that the Old and New Testament have to show about what is a Christian understanding of rest. What is, and that is to say, what is an actual understanding of who we are made to be and how we live further into the people we were made to be? The easy way to say what the sermon is about is, does your rest include God? Or does it not? Where would you find yourself on that spectrum? What if it did? What would that look like? That's what we're going to investigate this morning. Because for the Pharisees that we just read about, they, they had disallowed God to be part of their rest equation. And you see the negative impact that it had on them. So to do this, we're just going to look at Jesus's statement and kind of tease some implications out of it. This statement on the very last verse or last two verses of chapter two, the Sabbath was made for man, point one, not man for the Sabbath, point two. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath, point three. So the Sabbath was made for man. In the first pages, if you go back to the very beginning of this thing, in the first few pages, what you see an account of is all of this stuff that we see and experience, even our very selves and how we experience life being made out of nothing. And the account goes like this. There were some things created and it was good. There were other things created. They were good. There were other things created day after day after day for six days. Things were created, and they were good, the pinnacle of which being humanity. And then that rhythm gets broken, and that, that broken rhythm has an abrupt nature to it because of this rhythm that has been, it was created, it was good. It was created, it was good. God was working, and all things were good. And then on the seventh day, he stops. And he looks, and he takes a sigh, and he waits. Now, why did God stop? I think there's at least two implications there, if not more. Was it that he was somehow tired? Was he, he had, uh, you know, exceeded his BPMs on his Apple Watch? 
Well, no, he's, he's the almighty, eternal, unchangeable God. Okay, well, if it's not that, then what else could it be? Perhaps there is, there is certainly something where he is stopping and he is enjoying what he has just made. This is real good. And so he stops. He's the first one to stop and smell the roses that he just made. He enjoys all that he has just done, this work of his hands, and he says, yes, that's so good. But I think there's also another reason why the Scriptures capture this created order in the way that it does. There's a pattern for us in this. Working for six, stopping for one. And there's a rhythm to this in the way that he created us and then in the way he calls us to be co-creators with him. The seven days, actually, get this, I did a little bit of study this week, the seven days that we experience as a normal week do not exactly line up with anything lunar, anything solar, anything with the rotation of the earth or any of that. Do you know There's a couple reasons, but one primary reason why we experience a seven-day week is because of the influence of Judaism and Christianity on civilization since the beginning. Isn't that neat? And so there is something about this six-in-one rhythm that is built into what it means to be a whole human. Because work is a good thing. I think the Sabbath says two things. The first is six days of work. I like focusing on the one day where I don't. But first, we've got to focus on the six days where you actually do something. Work happened before the fall happened. Before sin came into the world, work was the thing. Your job is not a curse. It is good for you. Uh, Adam and Eve were created to work and bring this, these raw materials in this Garden of Eden and expand them and fill the world with the glory of the Lord. But they were still made with limits. Six days they were to work, one day they rest. They had to sleep, they had to eat, they had to take breathers, and yes, they had to Sabbath from the beginning. Because we know what it, what it feels like to violate our limits, don't we? I think I first found this out really experientially in college when I learned that you can actually stay up for more than 24 hours and get a lot more done. And it worked for a little while until I couldn't see straight and I couldn't think clearly. Uh, I couldn't form coherent sentences anymore. This is where I discovered coffee also. That kind of helped a little bit, but that was only, uh, that was only a band-aid that didn't actually fix the issue. We know what it's like to violate our limits. We know what it's like when we've worked an 80-hour work week. We know what it's like when we've eaten Swiss cake rolls for every meal. (laughs) We know what it's like to stay up too late doing the endless scroll of doom. Right? Your bodies feel that. Your, Your minds feel that. Because we're not made to go all out all the time. We've been made with limits, and that's a good thing. So Bible quiz. Uh, For those of you who grew up with the sword drill, here's a little sword drill for you. Um, When is the first time, those of you familiar with Scripture, when is the first time that the word Sabbath shows up in the Bible? 
I think many of us would, and I would have prior to study this week, I would have said the Ten Commandments. First time it shows up, God says, thou shalt take a Sabbath. Got it. But there's actually a study in the Sabbath, a character study in the Sabbath four chapters prior when the word actually first shows up in the scriptures. And it's, it's in this whole sweep of a story where Israel has been enslaved. They've been, uh, they've been in Egypt. They had no days off. They had no breaks. They had no stops. Every day was exactly like the one before for years and years and years. A whole generation was born into endless working. And so God says, I have to recreate you. I have to reorder you. I have to reform you. And so I'm going to give you a little object lesson. And so he brings them out into the wilderness and he crosses the Red Sea and then they they wander around. And as they wander, they begin to feel hungry, as many of us would if you've been in, uh, you know, on a long camping trip or a backpacking trip and not packed enough food. You begin to feel that after a little while. And so as you feel those things, speaking of violating limits, when you don't eat, what happens? You get hangry. And so the people of God began to feel hangry, and they began to grumble, and they began to say, man, I, it was really a lot better back in Egypt. We, at least we had meat to eat. They'd forgotten that that meat was rancid, but at least they had meat to eat. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do. I want to reform you from the inside out. So I'm going to give you manna in the morning, and I'm going to give you quail in the evening. And for six days, only gather what you can gather for that one day. Because if you gather too much, you're going to wake up the next morning, it's going to be rotten. And sure enough, that happens. But on the sixth day, I want you to gather for two days. Because the seventh is a Sabbath for you. The word Sabbath literally means stop. So this is a stop for you. And then here's the point. The end goal of what God is reforming in those people and what he is reforming in us, because we too have been born into a world of slavery where endless work is the norm. And he says, I've got something so much better for you. Stop. Why? Let me get the quote right. End of Exodus 14, he says this, Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. The goal of the Sabbath, the goal of stopping one day every seven, is not only physically, mentally, emotionally for you to be recharged, but the charging station of that recharging is God himself. There's a Godward movement a Godward eye that you take up at least one day in seven, where you stop and you go, oh yeah, God runs the world, not me. So the Sabbath then was made for man, as Jesus says, not man for the Sabbath. Because there is this uniqueness to what the Christian Sabbath brings to the world. It's not just four days of work and three days of play that equals health. It is the Godward direction of this rest. And the Pharisees, as we said earlier, had totally forgotten this. And so Jesus and his disciples are walking through the fields, and, uh, 
and they're plucking heads of grain, they're rolling the chaff off with their fingers, and they're popping full heads of grain straight into their mouth. They are the OGs of the whole grain movement. And the Pharisees are watching them. I'm not sure exactly how this played out, if they were like following them, you know, popping their heads up through the grain, or exactly how that worked. It doesn't say, but uh, they, they call out something that is true. Exodus 34 says, don't reap on the Sabbath. Don't take for yourself from the field on the Sabbath. Stop. So they're calling out something that is actually true. Did they break the law by what they did? In a sense, yes. But in a sense, no. And that's what Jesus begins to tease out here. Because he, he goes on to tell, he kind of interprets Scripture with Scripture here. If you're ever confused about a passage of Scripture, try to think about what does the rest of the Bible say about this instead of getting so locked into this one thing. So what does the rest of Scripture say about the Sabbath? Jesus goes back. Instead of trying to make up some new teaching, he just brings up something that was already true. He says, you guys remember David? King David, I'm pretty sure, you're pretty good with the Old Testament, so I'm pretty sure you remember that guy. Uh, you remember him, and there, he was on the run from King Saul, this evil guy who he was, felt threatened by King David and this new king that he was supposed to be, and God had his hand on him and not on King Saul. So Saul got mad, started running after him. David ran away. He was hungry. He was in the wilderness. A lot of very similar things to some of the things that Jesus went through. And in that moment, and he's got this whole posse with him too, this whole army with him. And they're like, what in the world are we going to do? And they come to the tabernacle and say, hey, I know that there's this holy bread that you guys have. And I know that only you priests are supposed to be able to eat this. But listen, we're starving out here. And the word need is the word that gets used. We are in need here. We're dying of hunger. Can we, can we eat some of this bread? And the priests say, yeah. And then Jesus points back to that and said, so what is their interaction with the holiness of God? Did God hate what just happened there? Or was he okay with it? Jesus is saying he was okay with it because there was a need that was as great as the need to keep the Sabbath holy. Because if you forgot, Pharisees, there are 10 commandments. One of them is Sabbath. Another one is don't murder. Preserving life is equally as important as keeping the Sabbath. Even Jesus here is interpreting Scripture with Scripture to say, there is, you're missing the main point. And don't we? Because the, the Pharisees, and over the years, Jewish law had, had kind of been very constrained, where they were trying to, to strain all of the complexity, all of the mystery out of what it is to follow God. And they had categorized these 39 ways how to keep the Sabbath. And it's everything from you, sh you can't carry, you can't burn, you can't extinguish burning. So I guess your house is on fire. Sorry. Uh, you can't write, you can't cook, you can't wash, you can't sew, you can't knot, you can't unknot. Uh, so kids, shoes, if you get tied together, sorry, you got to wait till tomorrow. Uh, dying. Not dying, but, you know, like die, like, <laughs> thou shalt not die. Uh, no, like clothes, trapping, slaughtering, 
um, all, the, all these things to try. And you can understand in the context, there, I'm sure housewives of the day who are like, wait, you're telling me that for a whole day I don't have to do laundry? I don't have to untie my kid's shoes? Woohoo! Like, that would be so great. So there is gift still in there, but they, they had missed the heart and been so focused on the law. And then Jesus comes on the scene and totally threatens their way of life and threatens their understanding of what it means to follow God. Because here's the question. What's easier to do? To follow rules or to follow God? One of those things is not like the other. Because to follow rules, if I've got this whole rule book right in front of me, parents, maybe, maybe this is the way to explain it. You know, if we have a set of rules that we can live by, then well, life will go well if we just keep those rules. Seems simple enough. Why didn't God just do that? You mean that's not what the Bible is? No. Because what's the point? Parents, answer this question. Would you be happy if your kids kept all your rules? I wasn't finished. Amen. Amen. If your kids kept all your rules, but never spoke to you again after they turned 18 and got out of your house. Because if that has happened, then your children have missed the point of the rules. Because the point of the rules is relationship. The point of the rules is love. The, the point of the Ten Commandments is ten ways to thrive and to live into who you have been created to be and live into the relationship with the living God that you have been created to have. That's the point of everything in the Scriptures, is to point you towards Him. The rules are not the ultimate point. Love is. 1 Corinthians 13 is a case study in this. You can do all sorts of awesome things for Jesus. And then at the end, and this is one of the scariest things that Jesus ever says, he can, sit, he can look at you and say, but I didn't know you. That is frightening. Because the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He runs this thing. He runs this world. He runs your life. He runs the order in which he created. All things were created through him, the second person of the Trinity. So he knows what's best. And he can run the world while you stop. So we get a weekly cease and desist. Literally the two words that are associated with the word Sabbath in Hebrew are cease and desist. Stop. Stop trying to be God. We're really good at doing that. But an, an equal goal to the law, not only is the law something that sort of constrains us and shows us what the healthy way to live is, another goal of the law is to be a mirror to you this morning and to be a mirror to me and to say, what are the ways in which I am totally blowing it? What are the ways in which I am not restful towards the Lord? 
what are the ways in which I am striving, even if it's quietly, even if it's only within the confines of my heart, even if it's only in the middle of the night when it's me and myself and my thoughts at three o'clock in the morning, and that's the only place I can get any kind of peace. And yet your mind still goes. Because have you ever tried? Have you ever like really given the Sabbath a go? One of my least favorite days, especially in my 20s, was the Sabbath. One of my least favorite days was the, days, the day that God said, stop doing stuff, because my whole life was predicated on the fact that I'm good at doing stuff. I'm effective, I'm capable, I'm competent, and I got this whole laundry list of things to do. And what happens when you stop doing that? The laundry list normally doesn't go away. In fact, it gets louder. Those barks from the, the laundry room get louder. The knocks on the door from all the people that you haven't met with, all the relationships that aren't where you would want them to be, all of the paperwork that hasn't been done shuffles over in your office, and you can hear them beckoning. The dishes that are in the sink are clanking and clinging and calling you. Right? Everything gets louder when you stop doing it. What does that show you about your heart? At least two things. One, it definitely says, I think I can do everything. But it also says, and I don't really trust the one. I don't trust anybody but me to provide what I need for my life. And so take, take this mirror and place it up to your life this morning. What are the places that when you stop, that that spinning inside still goes? Because those are the very places where Jesus especially wants to speak in and wants to say, do you not know? Do you not know that I am the Lord of the Sabbath? I'm the Lord of your life. You notice that word even? I'm the Lord even of the Sabbath. Why? Because I'm the Lord of everything. And Jesus has come knowing that we are enslaved people. He's knowing that the world that we have been born into is not one that celebrates resting and trusting in the Lord. It's one that rests and trusts in our ability to be all things to all people at all places at all times, to be omnipotent, to be omnipresent, to be omniscient. But who is the only person in the world that is all those omnis? It's the Lord Jesus. And so the Lord Jesus, he lives this perfect life. Now, why did he have to live a perfect life? Because for all of the ways in which you and I strive internally and all of the ways that we still try to displace God on the throne of our life and prop up ourselves and our amazing omniscience and ability. He stands in the place as a restful substitute. And he restfully lives Godward his entire life, working his way, listening always to his Father, never diverted from his mission, perfectly loving, him, his father, and everyone else who he came in contact with, knowing that you and I will not be able to do that. And then as he 
hangs on a cross, his last words are what? It is finished. It's done. All the work that really matters in your life, hear this, all the work that really matters in your life, everything that you need for life and godliness, done. If you trusted in Christ instead of yourself. And so the offer he gives, that's where the rest, true heart, soul rest comes from, is one who has stood, nailed hands and feet on a cross and said, it is done. Do you want God to be pleased with you? The work's done. Do you want your your life and all of your needs provided for? It's done. Because what's the other statement Jesus makes, his, his two last statements? One, it is finished. Two, right before he ascends back up into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, where he sits even now, running everything, just dandy, without our help. He says, just remember I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. It looks like I'm going somewhere, but my spirit's with you all the days of your life. We just sang about it. That is still true. As true as that was in Psalm 23, so it is true for you in Christ this morning. So not only has he taken care of your sin problem before God, his pleasure is over you securely because of Jesus, he's also taken care of your provision problem. And this is where it really gets me, especially with the season uh, that we're just coming out of, is watching God provide for me and my family in ways that we just can't do for ourselves. Some of you, even in this room, have been a part of that. Praise the Lord. We didn't make that up. That was the Lord and having his hand on every part of our life, being the Lord of our Sabbath, the Lord of our heart rest, providing at exactly the right time so we know it's him. Quail and manna. Where do you need him to provide for you this morning so you can stop? Let's ask him. Let's ask him as we pray in a minute. Let's ask him as we reflect in these last two songs, where do you need him to stand in the gap for you? Because just like the man with the withering hand, that's what we bring to him. (laughs) We just recognize maybe one day a week or one day a month or however often we actually make it to stopping and placing our heart and our thoughts Godward for the day is look how withered I am again. Here I am, God. Renew me again. That's what we bring, but that's who he is. And every time you Sabbath, you place that banner over your household. It is finished. I'm with you always. So get this. I was, uh, I was going to finish with a laundry list of, I literally entitled it Sabbath Frequently Asked Questions. <laughs> did you see what my heart did? I just spent all this time building up this case for why trusting the Lord is better than following the rules, though there is still very much rules for us to live into uh, as, as good created beings under the Lord Jesus. But I almost went straight back to giving you and trying to answer all your questions for how to honor the Lord with your Sabbath. If you would like some other guidance on that, I'm happy to tell you, uh, maybe out in that hallway after this. But here's where I want to leave you instead today. Um, this past week, actually, my, and this is still, this is a moving target. How to honor the Lord with our Sabbath and a weekly rhythm of that as a family 
uh, is, is always a moving target and always difficult and something that you really do have to constantly come back to time and time again as your age and stage changes. And so for us, one of the things that we are struggling with right now is video games. Where do video games, like that's not on the list. That's not nodding or unnodding or dying or not. Well, there's some dying in video games. Uh, but how do you, how, where do you put that? What category do you put that in? I don't, I don't know. We're warring through that. But that's not even necessarily the point of the story. The point of the story is we were talking about that as a family and trying to wrestle with this. What does this mean for us to, to keep the Sabbath well? And I make the statement, great pastor dad me, makes the statement, well, you know, guys, the Sabbath is, is about family. And one of my kids from the back pipes up and says, no, it's not. It's about God. <laughs> and I went, shoot, yeah, you're right. You're right. So whatever that looks like for you, whatever it looks like, for you to take this six and one rhythm and apply it to your life, to take a day out of your week and think about God and orient all of the things that you do, whether it's taking a nap or cooking a great meal or spending time with your family here at church. Whatever that is for you, would there be this sense of enjoyment in the gift that today is uh, and the fact that this really is his world. We're living in it. This is my father's world. So I've heard a pastor say uh, that the thing that really drew him to enjoy the Sabbath was he was at a McDonald's and he uh, had his, I know McDonald's, it's not where you expected me to go. And, uh, and he was in the bathroom, also not where you expected me to go. <laughs> he flicks on the hot water and just notices the warmth of the hot water running over his hands. And that draws him Godward. Whatever that is for you, this is his world. We're living in it. Let's enjoy it. So, Father, I pray that you would help our fickle hearts that are all over the place um, and so badly need rest and so badly fight against it. Uh, I pray that you would give us the kind of soul rest that only Christ on the cross can do the kind of rest that allows us not to wonder in the middle of the night, is God happy with me? The kind of rest that doesn't have to worry in the middle of the night, how is this world, how is this life going to work out for me? I don't see it. And so for all those places uh, that we still need your calm to wash over us, would it now? As we pray and we bring those rough edges to you, we just move them. Do that with the remainder of this service for the glory of Christ. Amen.